0: Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us, for being faithful and just, so that the penalty that Christ paid on our behalf is what you use instead of something that we can provide, our own death, to cover the sins that we commit after salvation. We ask that as we study your word tonight, you would protect us from our own thought processes, our own lust patterns, protect us from distractions that we may have internally or externally. And please protect us from Satan and company as they attempt to take truth from out of our thought process to confuse us with their own world system. May we be led by your Holy Spirit teaching us according to the human spirit so that we can know what truth is. And then may we choose to depend upon it instead of what we can feel and perceive in this world. In Jesus name, amen. All right, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Last week, we dealt with verse 1 and we identified a couple of concepts at the same time. The concepts that basically we talked about was what we call the Christian way of life, and the Christian way of life refers to the manner by which you live as a Christian. That manner is to be spiritual. You're supposed to operate spiritually. A Christ-like life is one that does not do the things Christ did, but operates in the same manner that he operated. Now, When we use the term Christian way of life, that's what we're referring to. Operation of a believer has to be a believer. No unbeliever can operate in the Christian way of life because they do do not have a human spirit. And the Holy Spirit does not indwell unbelievers, only those who depend upon Christ to be their Savior. That's what makes you a believer. So the Christian way of life refers to the way that Christians are designed by God to live during their time as God's representatives on earth. Yes, you are God's representative, believe it or not. He is not coming to earth to do His will. He has sent believers, the command, and what we call the stewardship, which means a responsibility, to represent Him and glorify Him. And the way we do that is by doing His will instead of our own. So this includes both the state of existence we have as spiritual beings. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. At the moment of your salvation, you are created and born spiritually by the Holy Spirit who creates in you a human spirit and then also indwells you And so you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you and he communicates to your human spirit. So our state of existence is as a spiritual being and then we are to operate as spiritual beings operating spiritually instead of carnally. Now we may or may not recognize the difference yet. The way we learn that difference is by walking in fellowship with God, doing his will instead of our own. By confessing our sin, we say we agree with God on what he says is right or wrong and where we violated his standard of right, or violated his standard of what's wrong, we confess it, get back in fellowship, and walk together with him. That means that we have the standing or our operation in any given point in time, this moment right now, you are either in fellowship or out of fellowship with God. You either have commonality with him, a righteous, sovereign, loving, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, and eternal being, or you do not. So when we talk about fellowship, we're referring to commonality, having commonality with God. God is righteous. He cannot have commonality with anything unrighteous. The only way, and we'll get to this in our review of verse 1, the only way we can have commonality with God, even have the potential for it, is to depend upon his son to be our savior. And he then, God then declares us righteous by giving us the righteousness that Christ had when he walked on this earth and putting our sins onto Jesus Christ. Christ paid the penalty for all of humanity's sins, but until you personally depend upon what he did on the cross he is not your savior he is not paying your penalty the funds are there in the account to pay whatever bill comes through and when you say i depend upon christ to be my savior you're saying in essence i want jesus to pay my bill what i owe god i want jesus to pay the money is already in the account he transitions it over to you writes it out that you are redeemed and taken care of and your sins are charged to christ So when we talk about being in fellowship, we're referring to our personal walk with God, each of us individually. Now, if I'm in fellowship and you're in fellowship, then we have fellowship with God, but we also have fellowship with one another. That's what it means. It doesn't mean to have a potluck together in the Awana room or the fellowship hall or to share in a couple of things. It means complete commonality. We can't have complete commonality if we have different thought processes amongst us. As believers, our job is to transform Our thought process and allow that thought process to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is going to identify. So when we're in fellowship, we're referring to the believer walking in harmony or in commonality with God. That means his word and his authority structure, where God is the leader, he tells you what to do, and you trust and obey to do it. When you're out of fellowship, that refers to the believer being in a disharmonious relationship with God which is the result of us choosing to sin either through the process of temptation or through choosing to operate independent of God. Either way, it's sin. When we start leading ourselves, that's sin as well. God is our father. He is our instructor and initiator. We are to respond and obey, t- but obey what he says. So that's the authority structure portion of that. Now, The way that we diagram this out is we've got a stick figure kneeling at the cross. That identifies he's dependent upon Christ and what Jesus did on the cross to pay the penalty for his sins. That puts him in the upper circle there. Ephesians 1, 3 says that we are gathered out into Christ and that refers to the moment in which we depend upon him to be our savior. We are created as a spiritual being in Christ. Titus 2, 14 identifies that Christ reserved for himself a people for his own possession. That means that he set up this system that all those who are dependent upon him to be the Savior, they become his possession. We are the bride of Christ as the church. So we belong to Christ. We are placed in Christ by God the Father at the moment of our salvation when we believe. Now that is a different sphere or circle than our walk with God. We cannot go out of here. Our sins are charged to Christ. There are not There's no sin, nor are there a number of sins or a quantity of sins that you can commit that says to God, I no longer want to be saved. Take my sins from being charged to Christ and charge them back to me. There is no number. Every sin that you commit has been charged to Christ at the cross. Now, whether or not you're in harmony with God depends on whether or not you confess those sins after salvation. So if you lie and God says lying is wrong, do not deceive one another. And you lie, you thought lying was okay and beneficial in some way. But God says it's not beneficial in some way. And so you sinned. You're not in harmony with God. God says one thing, you say another. You confess, which means you agree with God. And now you're back in fellowship with him. He cleanses you from that sin. He sends it off of you so that the, the responsibility for you between in your relationship with him is taken care of. You've basically come back to him and said, God, I sinned. I did the wrong thing. You're right. I should follow what you say. That's the essence. You're agreeing with him. Now there's no more disharmony. He sets you back in fellowship with him. The Holy Spirit can lead you again. Now there's two things that have to take place for that. One, repentance, and then two, confession. Repentance means that you've changed your thought process on what you believed when you believed something different than God. If you lied, you believed that that lie was beneficial in some way to protect yourself, to get yourself out of trouble, to make someone think something about you that was not true, uh, to perhaps protect someone else. And God says that lying is not right, deceiving one another is not right. And you said it was beneficial in some way. And uh, one thing that, that we don't really recognize right away is if God says something is not right, then it's not beneficial to us. In fact, the Greek word is kakos and it means worthless, inherently worthless. It has no value to us. So everything that God says is wrong is inherently worthless to us as believers, as his children. And that's why sometimes we don't see this distinction between what's right and what's best or what's wrong and what's worst. If it is not righteous, it is inherently worthless to us. And when we depend upon lying, perhaps, to get us out of a situation, we're saying, this has some benefit to me. And I'm going to depend upon it. I'm going to have faith in lying to get me through this situation. Well, there's inherent worthlessness there you have to change your thought process on that before you actually agree with god you can't go god i agree with you lying is wrong Lying is not beneficial while in the back of your mind going but i think it is you have to change your thought process first and that is repentance repent means to change your thought process greek word metanoia meta to change noia thought change thought so change what you think about it so in this situation Line is beneficial? Nope, I'm changing that. Line is not beneficial. Now you go after you repent and you tell God, God, I agree with you. So repentance is like confessing to yourself that what you did is wrong. Confession is confessing it to God, agreeing with God that what you did was wrong. Now without those two things, you will not actually get back in fellowship. You have to first repent and then confess. What happens sometimes is we take the ritual idea or the religious idea Saying, okay, if I'm going to be in fellowship with God, I have to confess my sin. But we don't do the repentance part. We don't change our thought process in the, in the way going on, on the way to confess our sins. Well, when we get there to confess and agree with God, we're basically lying to him again, saying we agree with him when we don't. That's why it doesn't work. It can be a ritual, but it shouldn't be. Now, why do we do this? Because in order to operate spiritually, we have to be in fellowship with God. We cannot operate spiritually outside of fellowship with God. We can't. The Bible says anytime we're outside of fellowship with God, we are operating carnally. That's our body, our flesh, is leading us through desires, and our soul is allowing it to do so. We're responding to things we can see, feel, and perceive in this world rather than God's thought process, which he's revealed through his word and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul in Romans 12, 1 and 2 comes in and, and gives a command to believers. See, what happened was these individuals were saved, but they didn't operate spiritually. And so he comes in and he gives this command, he says in verse 1, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now if you were here last week, we identified a couple of things. One is that this phrase, phrase I urge you therefore, is from the Greek word para kalo which means I call you alongside of me. Paul's identifying that he is doing this. He is presenting his body as a living sacrifice, and he's turning to the believers and saying, hey, join me in what I'm doing. He's not saying, okay, I'm going to sit here. You guys need to do what's right. He's saying, no, I'm calling you alongside of me as I present my body as a living sacrifice to God, to do the same thing. He's talking to the brethren. The command is given to brethren, so we know for sure he's talking to believers, in case there was any question. We dealt with the mercies of God. Mercy means not getting what you do deserve. God was merciful to us, and that while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die on, sin, die on the cross for our sins. The part about presenting your body as a living and holy sacrifice, it does refer to the body, the physical shell, but it identifies that that physical shell is spiritually alive. And to present your body in a spiritually operating way to God, in a spiritually operating manner. So he's talking about a believer who is not just a believer in Christ, but someone who is spiritually operating. Someone who is living spiritually. That means in fellowship with God. It says living in holy sacrifice. Holy means set apart for service. We are not holy except if we are in Christ. We're not walking wholly, set apart, different than others, unless we're walking in fellowship with God. In fact, in Galatians, Paul writes to the church of Galatians and says, you started and you were born in the spirit, but then you started being made perfected in the flesh. You went back to operating carnally and trying to be made perfect according to the flesh. Trying to grow in your relationship with God according to human thought process. He goes along in the rest of that book to identify that they're not to walk like those who are not saved, but to walk as if they are saved because they are. That's the difference. We as believers in Christ are able to walk spiritually. We're set apart. We're different. You have two types of people in this world, those who are in Christ and those who are out, those who are spiritually alive and those who are spiritually dead. There's not one that's better than the other as far as value goes, but there's a better position to be in, that's for sure. Because those who are in Christ go to heaven for eternity, and those who are outside of Christ go to the lake of fire for eternity. So there's a better position, but you're not a better person than someone else because you're saved. You just recognize your need for it. Now the spiritual service of worship that he talks about is that you are to, as a believer, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God out of your daily operation in your worship to him. When we worship God, we a lot of times think automatically of music. Worship through singing, it's called. And what we're really doing when we worship through singing, or what we should be doing realistically, is reflecting on what the words on those pages mean, of either the hymnal or the PowerPoint slides for the contemporary music, reflecting on what those words mean, and identifying that they are true about God. Which means that those words aren't true about God. We don't want to be saying that they are. Because that's blasphemous. So when we worship through song, we want to make sure that what we're saying is accurate, which means we have to know if it's accurate. We talk about God being love. Is he love? Do we know that? Well, his word says it. Do we, have we experienced his love? Maybe we not. Now, you, both, you have probably figured out that you can read books in school and just read the words on the page and get through page after page after page, get done with that chapter or that book and go, I have no idea what I just read but I read the whole thing, because your mind's thinking about something else. Or you can read that book word for word, page after page, go through your chapter, go through the book, and remember almost every detail about that book. It depends on whether or not you're paying attention to the words you're reading. Same thing with worship through song. Now we're not talking about just worship through song here, we're talking about your life. Are you operating, are you worshiping God in everything that you're doing? Now, that doesn't mean that as you're driving down the road with your parents or going to school that you're singing worship songs. No. What it means is that your spiritual service of worship, the way you are supposed to worship God, is to present your body as a living and holy sacrifice, spiritually alive, for him to do with what he will do in fellowship with him because he made you acceptable and set you apart by placing you in Christ. Our spiritual act of worship is to walk in fellowship with God so he does his will through us instead of us doing our will through our own bodies. That is our spiritual service of worship. Paul says, I, c- I ask you and call you to come alongside of me as I am presenting my body as a living, body of living and spiritual sacrifice. Acceptable to God, you do the same thing, which is your and our spiritual service of worship. If you want to worship God, you've got to do it in fellowship with him. You cannot worship God outside of fellowship with him. If there's sin in your life, doesn't matter whether you read the words of the hymnal or on the screen, if there's sin in your life and you're singing those songs, you're out of fellowship with him. It's not worshiping him. We have to worship God in spirit and in truth, not just in spirit or not just in truth. And if we're not in fellowship with him, we're not worshiping him because we're not allowing his Holy Spirit to lead us and guide us. Now, Romans 12, 2 gives the logical connection to us walking in fellowship. So first, Paul says, walk in fellowship. This is your spiritual act of worship. You are a believer in Christ. You're set apart. You're holy. God made you so. You're acceptable. He made you so in Christ. Walk the way God created you to be as a, hi- a child of his. And, he says, logically related to that, Greek identifies, the Greek. it's the Greek word chi. It's a logical conjunction saying that there's a logical relationship to us walking in fellowship with God and what's coming next. And logically related, do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This phrase, do not be conformed, This word not means stop. It's the Greek word may, which means stop doing what you're currently doing when it's in the present tense command, which is what we have here. Stop doing what you're currently doing. What is he saying? He's telling the brethren, the believers he's talking to, that they're not... Being transformed by God's word, but they're being conformed to this world. He's saying, Stop doing what you're currently doing, being conformed to this world, but on the other hand, be transformed. Now, what is he logically identifying about them? Are they operating in fellowship or are they operating out of fellowship? Out of fellowship. Because the logical connection between verse 2 and verse 1 is that if we are in fellowship with Him, verse 30, our as a spiritual living and holy sacrifice, our spiritual act of worship, then we will be in this place of being transformed instead of conformed. But he's saying you're not in this place, you're out of fellowship, confess your sin, get in fellowship and stop being conformed to this world so that you can be transformed by the renovation of your thought process, the renewing of your mind. The word conformed here means molded by external pressure. molded by external pressure the idea with this word is that you are the object that is going to be shaped and there is an outside thing that's shaping you what is the outside thing that shapes us when we're out of fellowship with God it's the world Look what it says. Stop being conformed to this world. The world is the mold that is pushing around you and creating pressure on you so that you change to match it. Stop being conformed to this world. Now, this is referring to the entire world system, how this world works, the rules and laws that govern it. Now, we dealt with a while back, 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Some of you guys may remember that as the lust pattern verses or passage. But we identify that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and what's called the boastful pride of life, which is really ego lust, Is all that is in the world did not come from the Father, but is of this world, and it will fade away. And verse 17 says something to the effect of, but those who do the will of God live forever, or what is from God lives forever. So this is 1 John 2:15 to 17. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what is being said here is that if you are in fellowship with God, you will stop being molded by external pressure to this world system, which operates under lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or boastful pride of life. Now, why does it operate that way? The whole goal in this world system right now is contrary to how God created it, just like Adam and Eve. God created Adam and Eve to glorify him, created humanity to glorify him. But what is man doing now as a result of the fall? glorifying himself. This world was designed to house humanity and to glorify God, but what happened when the serpent deceived Eve is he took control of this world. And the Bible identifies that he is what's called the prince and the power of the air. He is the ruling power and authority over this world system currently. Now, don't let that fool you. God is sovereign. Satan is not in control over God. God has allowed Satan, this this arena, this world, to do what he wants with, while he proves through humanity that he is loving and just. And so while this world is run by Satan and company, and God sits there watching over and knowing everything that's going to go on, he's letting his wrath build up until it overflows. When the iniquity of this world is made complete, God will judge it. There will be seven years of tribulation. There will be a thousand-year reign of Christ where there will be one last thousand-year chance to prove that he is loving and just. And after all this time that we've had, some six to 8,000 years, or 12,000 years, depending on who you talk to, of human history, from that time until the rapture, which could be tomorrow, could be now, it could be 300,000 years from now, we don't know. But that time, we heard plus seven years, plus plus a 1,000 years, That whole amount of time is the amount of time that God is slow to wrath. It's a long time to be patient. It's a long time to wait and give chance after chance after chance for people to turn to him. This world operates under the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and boastful pride of life. When you watch TV commercials, if you pay attention, you can identify which target they were going for. Some are easier than others. You can say, hey, that's, that's satisfying the flesh. That's pursuing material objects. Or, hey, that's about pride. Do this, and you'll be the most amazing man in the world, or woman in the world. If you buy our product, everyone will think you're cool and important. You can see, if you pay attention, how this world, and commercials are fantastic for this, because they're trying to sell stuff to people In this world, they're not trying to sell it to anyone outside this world, which there is none, by the way, just in case you were wondering. They're trying to sell it to people in this world, so it makes sense that they target each of these three areas. And a really, really good commercial that everyone likes, is probably going to have all three areas, because it will appeal to each person's lust pattern. So it says, stop being conformed to this world system, which happens by your lust pattern, but be transformed, this is the Greek word metamorphoste. Which means to to transition or change from the inside to the outside. So you've got one that molds from the outside to the in, and you've got one that transitions from the inside to the out. And one molds by the world, where the world, through your lust pattern, is able to control what you think and how you view things and what you want. And if the world's led by Satan Company, then that's how they can control you to do their thought process and what they want. Or you can, on the other hand, be transformed, transitioned from the inside to the outside, but by what? So there's two things that lead you at any given moment. It's either this world system through your lust pattern, and therefore Satan and company, or it's the renovation of your thought process, which occurs by depending upon God's word and who he is instead of what this world says. So it's either God or this world. That's all you have as a leader. It's that simple. Anytime you think, well, I'm not going to follow the world, but right now I'm not going to follow God, you're following the world. (laughs) In James chapter 4, it says, Do you not know that making yourself a friend of the world makes you an enemy of God's? If we are operating carnally, we are at enmity with God. That means we've drawn a line in the sand. We're looking at God on the other side going, let's fight. We call that greatly dumb. That's a phrase we picked up a few years back. Greatly dumb. It means extremely stupid if you're trying to figure it out. It's greatly dumb to look at the God of the universe who not only created the air you breathe, the components that created all this world, all the elements, the universe, the stars, the galaxies, but also Adam can without any stress at all on his power system say he's dead. And draw a line in the sand and say, no, I'm going to fight you, God. Now, we obviously don't consciously think that, but that's what we're saying when we operate carnally. That's what we're saying when we don't follow him. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 5 that we are operating, when we operate carnally or from the flesh, that we put ourselves at enmity with God. We look across the line in the sand at him going, let's go, let's fight. Well, who else is fighting against God? Satan and company. So that means that we have aligned ourselves with the enemy who accuses God. Fighting against God with Satan and company when we're operating carnally. See, fellowship matters. And we are being taught and told and pressured externally, which means it's from the world system, to say, no, this life is about you self-actualizing. What on earth does that mean? means you realizing your full potential. Whatever you desire, pursue it. Whatever makes you happy, pursue that. Be the best you can be. No offense to the army. Those guys are der- deserve our respect all the way through. This world is not about us being all that we can be. At least not the way the world says it. It's not about us realizing our full potential. It's about us glorifying God. That's it. And in order to glorify God, we have to humble ourselves. We have to deny ourselves so that we can follow him. We are told by Paul through Romans 12 2, to stop being conformed to this world, stop being molded to the, by external pressure to this world system. Through our lust pattern, this world system is led by Satan and company. So in essence, he's saying stop letting Satan and company deceive you and mold you through the various deceptions that they have in this world. In satisfaction of the flesh, in satisfaction of the eyes when you pursue material possessions, or in pride. They get you doing those three things, they don't care. Keep doing it. They're like, attaboy, way to go. Because all we're doing is spinning our wheels spiritually. We're not even operating spiritually. And if we're not operating spiritually, we're fighting alongside of them instead of doing God's will. We are in a spiritual battle. We are being deceived in this world. We have to be transformed in our thought process if we're going to change from the inside out. We'll look at that more next week. And this transformation process as it takes place next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us in spite of our carnality, knowing full well that we will operate in disobedience to you and in obedience to our flesh and our own thought process. We pray, Lord, that you would give us clarity to recognize how we are being deceived and manipulated by this world system and thus Satan and company, to see where we're being molded by this world instead of being transitioned by your thought process and your word. Thank you for what the Holy Spirit did in writing these things and what he can do to teach us these things. May we focus on whether or not we're in fellowship with you. May we be quick to repent and quicker to confess so that we can spend our time in fellowship with you doing your will instead of our own, following you instead of fighting against you. Thank you that you love us, and that means that whatever you say is what's best for us. May we choose to depend upon that the promise that you've given that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. When we feel alone, may we choose to depend upon that and allow the thought process that you give us to lead us in our actions. Thank you for loving us and sending your son to die on the cross for us. Please keep us safe tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.